On today's story session, a tale about stupid promises and even stupider solutions. This is The King with the Lion. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Story Sessions, the podcast about how brutally dark and totally insane folk tales and fairy tales used to be, which in my opinion, just made them way better. So we're going through the original versions of Grimm's fairy tales, story by story. We'll figure out the intended lessons and the actual lessons of each story, and afterward I'll adapt the tale into a movie or TV show. So let's get right to it with today's tale, titled, The King with the Lion. We begin. A young prince sat with his bride-to-be and said, I'm going to give you a ring and my picture and want you to carry these things to remember me and to remain true to me. My father is deathly ill and has asked me to come to him. He wants to see me one more time before he dies and I become king. So I want you to go home now. Hmm. Why does he want her to go home? Yes, maybe he's like, I gotta do this on my own and spend some time with my father before he passes. Alright, okay, I get that. Shockingly, I have no criticism so far. Usually the first sentence in these stories is like, there was a maiden who got lost in the forest and a witch turned her into a bird for no reason. But no, we're starting off on a somber, heavy note here. We continue. Upon saying this, the prince rode off and found his father on his deathbed. Right before he died, he asked his son to marry a particular princess... After his death, the prince was so depressed and loved his father so much that without thinking about it, he said yes. And right after that, the king closed his eyes and died. Well, what the fuck? Man, we we covered this a few episodes ago. Don't make hasty, unreasonable promises to dying people. Or if you do, do it with no intention of actually following through. If you just want that person to have some peace of mind before they die, sure, whatever. Agree to whatever nonsensical bullshit spills out of their confused, dying brain. But in these circumstances, you're already engaged, buddy. Man, alright, let's just hope the prince has no intention of honoring this promise, but I'll bet he does. We continue. After he was acclaimed king and the mourning period ended, he had to keep his word. No, you don't. You don't have to keep your word. You absolutely do not have to keep your word to someone who is dead. They're dead, so you won't make them unhappy by not keeping your word. You'll only make yourself and others unhappy. No good will come of this. Uh, So he had to keep his word and asked permission to court the other princess, Who had been promised to him? Wait, so this other princess was promised to him? Does that mean that his father already made an agreement with his kingdom? Okay, because that does change things. That means that there would be repercussions to backing out. And also means it wasn't just a random dying thought the king had in his diminished mental state. That would mean the king actually planned this, and he used his death to guilt trip his son into agreeing to it. That is devious of the now-deceased king. He knew his son was already set to marry the first girl. Damn, okay. None of that was explicitly said, and I sort of extrapolated it, but it makes the story more interesting, so I'm just going to go with that. We continue. 
Meanwhile, the first bride had heard that the prince was courting another princess. Oh shit. And she grieved so much that she almost died. Her fiancé didn't even contact her to tell her what was going on. She had to hear about it from other people. Ah, hell no. Fuck this guy. Jesus. Her father asked her why she was so sad, and told her all she had to do was to ask him for what she wanted, and her wish would be granted. Aw. I appreciate that her dad is willing to give her whatever she wanted, but it's... Kind of a dick move to ask why she's sad. You know what's going on, man. You know why she's sad. Don't be a dick. So the princess reflected for a moment, and then she asked for 11 young women who completely resembled her in size as well as in stature. Oh, fuck yes. Here we go. This girl has been scorned by her lover, and her response is to assemble a team of doppelgangers who look exactly like her. I am 100% on board with this shit. Team scorned princess, let's go. So the king had his men search for the 11 young women throughout the entire kingdom, and when they were all together, she dressed herself in hunter's clothes and had the 11 dressed the same way, so that all 12 of them were completely alike. I am so fucking excited right now. Shortly thereafter, she rode to the king, her former bridegroom, and requested a position for herself and the other hunters. The king didn't recognize her, but because they were such handsome people, he gladly granted the request and welcomed them to his court. Yeah, I'll bet he welcomed them to his court. Badass group of 12 hot hunter ladies show up at his door and are like, we want to work for you. A king will say yes to that shit every damn time. <laughs> Hopefully they can actually hunt, though, because otherwise this plan is going to fall apart pretty quickly. And I also hope that these other 11 women are on board with the plan, too. They weren't just dragged along for this weird, weird random doppelganger mission against their will. Regardless, I love how this is developing. <laughs> we continue. Now the king had a lion, and nothing could be kept from him. The lion knew all the secrets of the court. Wait, what? Like an actual lion? The fuck is going on now? One evening, the lion said to the king, You believe you've employed twelve hunters, but they're actually twelve young women. Alright, hold hold on here. What, what the fuck? So there's been nothing magical or supernatural thus far, but suddenly there's a talking psychic lion? That is some crazy shit to just randomly drop into the mix halfway through a story. And also, apparently, the women weren't dressed as hot lady hunters, but were dressed as male hunters? Not sure why that's part of it. Maybe maybe to throw him further off the trail? Also, why, why did they all need to look like the princess then? Isn't, wouldn't that make it more suspicious if they all looked really similar? Why did they need to look similar? I don't know. It's also way harder to pull off pretending to be men and hunters as, a pro as opposed to just pretending to be hunters, right? Just make yourself lady hunters, and this all becomes so much easier. <sighs> okay, so now we've got the king's best friend talking psychic lion who's trying to blow the 12 girls' cover, and this story is starting to go off the rails in the wonderful way these folktales often do. Time to sit back and watch the chaos 
ensue. We continue. The king refused to believe him, but the lion added, Have peas spread about your anteroom one time. Men have a heavy step, and if they walk over the peas, none of the peas will move. But women, they skip and shuffle, and the peas roll beneath their feet. (laughs) This, This is the stupidest bullshit I've ever heard. Women are still heavy enough to crush peas under their feet. Lion, the premise of this test is that women, quote, skip and shuffle. So the peas will just roll around (laughs) beneath their feet. Okay, even assuming this premise is accurate, which it 100% isn't, couldn't you then just, just watch them walk around? And if they're skipping and shuffling which is a very obvious and apparent thing to see someone do, then you'd know they were women. Again, if this premise is true, which it definitely isn't. All right, you know, for being a super intelligent psychic lion, this is a bad plan. Just be like, today's spa day. Everyone will have a servant draw them a bath and clean them and give them a massage. And then boom, it would be super obvious that these are ladies and that the servants would just be like, yep, they've all got boobs and no dicks. Problem solved. Man, this plan of throwing peas all over the floor is terrible, lion. See how the ladies handle it. We continue. The king liked this plan. (laughs) Sure. But one of the king's servants loved the hunters and had overheard all this. So he ran to the young women and said, The lion thinks that you're women and wants to have peas spread out in the anteroom to test you. Wait, who the fuck is this guy now? One of the king's servants is, like, instantly a fan of these hunters, these random hunters, just show up, and this guy thinks they're super cool and wants to be friends with them, so he's tipping them off to the test? It says he ran to the young women and said, the lion thinks that you're women and wants to have peace spread out in the answer. So does he know that they're women, or does he think that they're men and is just a fanboy and is tipping them off to the test. Because if he thinks that they're men, then he has no reason to tip them off to the test. And if he's if he knows that they're women, how does he know they're women? There's a lot more questions going on. This is one of those situations where a side character is thrown in for plot reasons, but it really makes me super curious about the side character and leads to a whole lot of other questions. I, I would love to have more information on this Hunter fanboy, but I doubt we'll get it. We continue. Consequently, the princess ordered her eleven young ladies to use all their might and step firmly on the peas. Oh, come on. Was it really that difficult? Human women are not so slight and weak that they're incapable of crushing peas beneath their feet. Man, this is a patronizing story (laughs) so far. (laughs) Jesus When it turned morning and the peas were all spread out, the king summoned the twelve hunters, but they had such a firm and strong gait that not one single pea moved. (laughs) I really like imagining this group of women all just stomping firmly around the room. It says they use all of their might, just stomping around, crushing all the peas. But again, this test is utter garbage. Even if the peas had moved... It is utter insanity to use that as evidence that they must be women. (laughs) To be honest, it's insulting to both women and men. It implies women are weak and skip all over the place, 
and it implies that men are such stupid brutes that they just stomp and clod around like fucking toddlers. That evening, the king reproached the lion and accused him of lying. In response, the lion said, They covered up who they really are. Now, just have twelve spinning wheels set up in the anteroom, and they'll show how pleased they are. No man would ever do that. (laughs) So now, the lion's plan is, get a bunch of spinning wheels. Chicks love spinning wheels. They'll go crazy for them. Trust me, bro. Men don't give a shit about spinning wheels, but chicks go nuts for that shit. <laughs> if, this is, if this is the quality of this lion's advice, why is he such a trusted advisor? I mean, he's right that they're women, but he's also a complete idiot. He knows the truth, but his ideas for revealing the truth are garbage. I guess that's a different skill set, right? The king is probably just so impressed that he's a lion who can talk, and is pretty intuitive, clearly, that he thinks everything the lion does must be brilliant. Yeah, he's a talking lion, and that is incredible, but that doesn't mean he's great at everything. Maybe that's a lesson here. Just because someone is impressive or exceptional in one way, that doesn't mean we should trust them or follow their ideas about absolutely everything. Good lesson. I'll touch on that later. We continue. The king followed the lion's advice once more and had the spinning wheels set up in the room. However, the servant revealed to the hunters what was happening so that the princess ordered the young ladies once more not to look at the spinning wheels at all. Damn, this servant is really coming through for these ladies. This is a whole subplot that I'd really love to see more of. But I also love how the story completely accepts and follows the premise that these ladies do love spinning wheels because the plan isn't try to contain your excitement about the spinning wheels. No, they've got to go further than that and not even look at the spinning wheels to make sure that they can contain their excitement. They don't even trust themselves to be able to contain how thrilled they would be by the spinning wheels. (laughs) I'd, I'd love to hear this conversation between the ladies too. (laughs) they're like look there's gonna be a bunch of spinning wheels in that room i know how much we all love spinning wheels so what i'm about to say is of the utmost importance do not look at the spinning wheels and then someone pipes up from the back but we love spinning wheels what if they're pretty then the princess says hey it pains me as much as it pains you you all know i love spinning wheels as much as any woman does I mean, they're, they're incredible. They're shiny. They spin. They got it all. But I told you when we set out on our mission that it would not be an easy one. And never did I dream that we'd have to go so far as to hold back our uncontrollable hysteria about spinning wheels. But that is the sacrifice that we must make. <laughs> I like to imagine that scene was like the Ark of the Covenant in Indiana Jones. Just like, keep your eyes closed. The spinning wheels are so wonderful. Anyway, I'm having way too much fun with this. We gotta continue. So that's what they did, and the king refused to believe the lion anymore. He became more and more fond of the hunters, and when he went out hunting, they had to go along with him. Ooh, okay, well, that's probably bad, right? Because they're not actually hunters, so... How are they gonna pull this one off? If there's a team of 12 hunters, which feels like a lot 
to be honest. I don't know why you need that many hunters. And they all suck at hunting because they aren't hunters. It's going to give them away faster than any of these stupid fucking peas on the floor and spinning wheel tests. One time, when they were out in the forest, news arrived that the prince's bride was coming, and that she would soon be there. Oh, shit. When the prince's real bride heard this, she fainted. Oh, come on, lady. Man, this story thinks that women are so fragile and weak. The king thought that something had happened to his dear hunter. He ran over and wanted to help him. As he took off his glove, he noticed that she was wearing the ring that he had given to his first bride. And moreover, when he saw the picture that she was carrying in her necklace, he recognized her and immediately notified the other bride to return to her realm because he already had a wife. And when one recovers an old key, one doesn't need a new one. What? Soon after, the wedding was celebrated, and it was clear that the lion had not lied, and he once again found favor in the king's eyes. The end. What? That is the stupidest fucking ending I've ever heard. So the king just married her because she was there? That's it? He just completely disregarded his promise to his father and the new princess just because his original princess happened to physically be there at that moment. Because he already, like, shunned her and was like, no, I'm going with this new lady. But then she shows up and he's like, all right, well, you're already here. But if that is the case, then the original princess... Man, why didn't they give them names? See, they didn't name any of these fucking characters. The original princess who he was going to be married to then became the hunter could have just shown up herself at any time and just been like, hey, I heard you're courting some other princess now. What's going on there? And based on how the story unfolded, the king would have immediately been like, oh, never mind that. You're here now, so let's get married. Man, this king's marriage just seems to be a first-come-first-serve sort of situation. Man, this king is spineless. Fuck this guy. And the whole thing with the ladies pretending to be hunters proved to be pretty much entirely pointless. And I also, again, they don't need, why do they need to look like the princess? They set up that the king's promise to his dying father was the reason he spurned the first princess, but the second he sees her, that promise is immediately forgotten and disregarded. I thought we were going to get some sort of face-off between the new princess and the original princess, and the king has to choose between his promise to his father and the woman he actually loves, but no. That would have been too interesting, I guess. So what actually happened is that he seems to just choose the original princess because she happened to already be there. So it's just easier, I guess, <laughs> logistically speaking. And this king just flip-flopping all over the place. And now everyone has a reason to be pissed off at him. The original bride is pissed because he was super ready to just completely forget about her and only took her back when she showed up and did a whole weird thing with fake hunters, and the new princess, the second princess he was courting, and her entire kingdom have reason to be pissed off because he then said, yeah, he wants to marry her, and then just suddenly called it off. So his indecision and spinelessness here has caused unnecessary and ultimately pointless hardship and stress and pain and trouble for literally everyone. And you know what? That is our first lesson. 
being spineless and just doing whatever you think others want to appease whoever happens to be in front of you or happens to be asking you to do something will only cause unnecessary hardship and trouble. If you know what you want or what you want to do, say so and just commit to that. Have some conviction. Indecisiveness and spinelessness just makes things messier and worse for everyone. Sometimes you just have to make a choice. And making that choice and committing to it is better for you and everyone else who is affected by that choice. Even if the choice you're making isn't the choice that some people wanted you to make. Can't make everyone happy. The fact that you made that choice and were clear about it allows everyone to move forward cleanly. I mean, this is definitely true in terms of relationships and love, and is probably true in a whole wide range of other areas across the board. Another lesson, just because someone is impressive or exceptional in one or two ways doesn't mean they're infallible and are right about absolutely everything. This one is about the lion, of course. I feel like people have a tendency to deify people who are successful or talented in one way, and then just assume that person is brilliant in general, and is always correct about absolutely everything. It's like, like all these billionaires. Yeah, you did great in business, but maybe we shouldn't be listening to you about social or economic issues or moral issues. Those are completely different issues. But a lot of people seem to think, oh, well, they're super successful, so we should just listen to whatever they have to say and assume that they're right about anything. No. No, it takes a ton of time and energy to develop an expertise in one area or to succeed in in just one or two areas. It's fucking impossible for a single human being to have a comprehensive understanding of absolutely everything. A single person cannot experience or learn enough to be an expert in everything. There's just no time. People completely immerse themselves in a particular field or a particular social issue to develop an expertise in that area. One person can't do that in more than one or two fields in a lifetime. Expertise and real-life experience matters. So stop deifying someone just because they make a lot of money in one or two fields. Don't be so impressed by the talking lion that you think everything the lion says must be brilliant. That's how you get left with spinning wheels as the plan. Also, why was there a talking lion in this story at all? There's no magic going on anywhere else in this story. Why did they make that character a talking lion? Could have just been a guy who somehow figured out that the hunters were ladies. And you know what? I'll, I'll bet the writer just felt the need to throw in something fun and exciting. This is like when, when they throw in a huge celebrity cameo into some random role for no reason. Just a, just a desperate move, guys. Just try and jazz it up. Lastly... The whole thing about when one recovers an old key, one doesn't need a new one, is bullshit. <laughs> I mean, that, that same phrase popped up in an earlier story, also about a king choosing between people to marry, and it's fucking nonsense in this context. He's choosing a life partner. That is a complex, nuanced, lifelong, personal, and emotional commitment. And also a ruler of a king, like a co-ruler of a kingdom. That is a nuanced decision. It's not like, well, this key still works, so I don't need another one. That is an insulting oversimplification. <laughs> but I guess I guess I can't be too surprised because it's also in line with how these old folktales treat female characters all the time. This this story is probably the most ridiculous in terms of its ideas about gender. I mean, fucking spinning wheels, guys. Ladies love 
spinning wheels. It's just a fact. I've never met a woman who didn't lose her mind every time she saw spinning wheels. They, they just can't help it. That's, that's the attitude that this story has. That is the entire premise that a huge plot point of this story is based on. <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's adapt this thing. So this is going to be a movie. It's still going to take place in medieval times. And we'll have a prince who will be played by comedian John Gabris. And his father, the king, is wounded by a boar while on a hunt. Which, according to TV shows that I've seen, happened all the time back in olden days. And John Gabris goes to him as he's dying, and the king, who is played by, let's say, Charles Dance, is like, I'm dying, son. Make me a promise. And John Gabris is like, of course, father, anything, anything at all. Just tell me what you desire for your kingdom when I, when I become king. You are the, the greatest king, and I will do whatever you wish of me to rule honorably. And King Charles Dance says, promise me. You will never see your friend Rodney again. And John is like, what? What? My, my best friend, Rodney? What are you talking about? And Charles Dance says, I always fucking hated your friend, Rodney. He's such an oblivious idiot. Promise me you'll never see him again. And John is like taking it back. He's like, I mean, he's my best friend, Dad. I'm not just going to cut him off. But Charles Dance just starts coughing and says, like, I'm dying. I'm dying, son. This is my dying wish. Never see that dickhead Rodney again. Oh, God, it's all I want with my dying breath. And so John's flustered and just goes, yeah, okay, okay, sure, whatever. I'll never see Rodney again. So the king dies, and John goes on and tells Rodney, who's played by Jason Manzukis, of course, that they can't see each other anymore. And Rodney's like, what? Why, bro? And John tells him his dad made him promise with his dying breath. And Jason Manzukis is like, damn. I mean, your dad wasn't my biggest fan, but that is, that is pretty brutal. That is harsh, man. But then John is like, wait, I've got an idea. My dad said I can't hang out with you. His chief advisor, who is now my chief advisor, heard it and won't allow us to see each other. But what if nobody knows it's you? You can wear a disguise. Can you be a hunter? Because we need, we need some new royal hunters. We killed all the old ones because my dad died while on a hunt with them, so they had to be punished, you know? But you could be a hunter, right? And Jason Mizuka says, Well, I don't really know anything about hunting, but I can get some hunting clothes and stuff, I guess. And then John goes, You should dress like a woman. And Jason's like, What? Why would I, why would I dress like a woman? And John says, Because they'll know it's you if you just wear hunting clothes. You need a better disguise. You should dress like a woman. Yeah, you'll dress like a woman. It'll work for sure. It's settled then. And so Jason's like, oh, okay, all right, I guess. And so a few days later, Jason shows up at the castle dressed like a woman to be a new royal hunter. And John is on the throne with his advisor next to him. And the advisor will be played by Paul F. Tompkins. And John says, this lady seems like a great hunter. We should hire her and keep her around. And Paul looks at her and is like, I think... I think this might be a man, but John just declares, What a gloriously strong and capable huntress this woman is. She will make a fine addition to the king's court. Moving on, next next candidate. And then the next section of the movie is basically just John Gabris and Jason Manzoukas trying to keep up the disguise. And meanwhile, Paul F. Tompkins figures out that this lady is actually Jason slash Rodney and is trying to prove it and blow his cover to the royal council, who 
would then banish Rodney, but every time he tries to blow Rodney's cover, they barely manage to slip through the cracks, and then John goes, all right, we're going to go hunting now, goodbye. And finally, Paul F. Tompkins brings the Royal Council out to the woods when John and Jason are out, quote-unquote, hunting, to spy on them and blow their cover. And they finally catch them out and reveal that the Huntress is actually the friend Rodney. But then John delivers this speech about... You know, this kingdom needs a strong ruler, does it not? Well, what greater strength is there in the world than the unbreakable strength of friendship? To deny and disregard friendship would only make us weaker, make us more miserable people. Through the bonds of friendship, we will grow closer and stronger as a kingdom. And Jason Manzoukas is standing there in his, like, wig and woman clothes, like, yeah, friendship matters, you bunch of dickheads. And John says, Rodney might not be impressive to you military strategists and treasurers and such, but you'd all do well to learn from him. His, his loyalty, his, his sense of whimsy, his pure joy. We would all be so lucky to have more of this in our lives. And Jason's just standing there like, whimsy bitches. And Paula Tompkins says, well, your father ruled very honorably, but he was a miserable bastard. We all know it. The castle was boring as hell when he was king. And everyone was in a shit mood all the time. I, I, I think maybe the castle and kingdom could do with a little more joy and friendship. And the royal council agrees. And they make Jason Manzoukas, a.k.a. Rodney, the grand master of friendship and merriment. And he organizes festivals and tournaments and shows and such. And the kingdom is joyful and much revelry is had by all. And they live happily ever after. The end. And that will do it for this week's story session. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Come on back next week for a story titled The Summer and the Winter Garden. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions.